Hey family, today's conversation with John Hope Bryant is one that I've been looking forward to for some time now. John's story is beyond inspirational, it's educational, and I consider him to be one of the best teachers there is alive today. Now that's a strong statement from me, and it is creditably founded upon John's successes. You see, John is a financial literacy expert, and he's been sought by presidents, by economists, and by business leaders of the highest caliber for his advice on not just financial things, but those things that actually impact how they live their lives. I've seen it up close and I've witnessed it. When I talk with him today, he's gonna share so much with us. And oddly enough, we're not digging into financial literacy today. We're gonna talk about the stuff of life, the things that John feels and sees that all of us can learn from. I'm sure you're gonna enjoy this conversation as much as I'm looking forward to it. So let's talk with my dear friend, John Hope Bryant. Joining us right now is one of America's most successful female entrepreneurs. Special guest speaker today, the first African-American woman to own a billion dollar company. Her name is Janice Bryant Howroyd. She's the founder and CEO of Act One is one of the largest staffing companies in the United States. She's now ranked by Forbes as second wealthiest self-made African-American woman in America behind only Ms. Oprah Winfrey. Janice, great to have you on the show. Wonderful to be Thank here. Thank you so much Wonderful. for joining us. Janice, welcome to the program. Janice, what about your point? Hey, John. So it's really, really exciting to be talking with you today, even in these circumstances. Please, I just let the audience know who you are from a professional level, but can you kind of tell us who you are on that personal level and what's happening for you right now? Uh, well, I'm, first of all, honored to be here with you, one of my sheroes. Uh, and friends. Uh, I am God's child and your valet. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Well, you know, you exhibit that in a lot of ways, John. Now, I'm out there and I'm seeing so much of what you're doing. And um, I think that it, it, it could go forever to know everything you're doing, but just some of those high-level things that are happening right now with you, with Operation Hope, and uh, the whole John Ho Hope Wyatt world. Well, I'm going to go back to the valet point because I really am sort of serious about that. That I think the world, young people, aspiring entrepreneurs, aspiring young women who want to uh, live their best life, aspiring young men who want to find their purpose, folks in the middle of their life and career that want to reset their life to live their best purpose, live their best life, live a life with no regrets, uh, whether you're working for somebody else or working for yourself you would benefit from, from being uh, Janice Bryant Howroyd's virtual valet. In other words, carry her virtual bags, uh, take her virtual notes, listen to her when, she's, when she invites you into conversations, act like you're in the meeting uh, as a note taker or a scribe or a, an assistant producer uh, and, uh, and absorb uh, what she has uh, learned over these years in business to build a second largest black owned business in uh, the United States and one of the largest in the world, uh, not as a successful black businesswoman, but a successful businesswoman globally who happens to be black. Um, and so I think that what you're doing here is really important um, because mentoring is great, but role modeling is better. Oh, and wow. you are role modeling success 
at scale. Wow. Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the things I said in introducing you is that I've been mentored personally and from afar by you. And a lot of that has happened uh, by the role modeling you do every day. Uh, John, when I first met you, I saw you and you were in worship in Los Angeles. A lot of years ago, right? Yeah, First Amy Church or Church of God in Christ, one of the West Angeles, one of those two. Yes, and I wanted to know who you were. And in the spirit of the moment, I was in prayer and you got out of that church before I got to say hello to you. Every time I've seen you since, and I do consider us to be dear friends now. Absolutely. Uh, in, the, in the sincere sense of the word. Yeah. Every, ever since then, ever since then, every time I've seen you, you've had this spirit about you that is uh, so good and so welcoming. And people are looking for a lot of that right now. Um, are you finding that you're being called on more since COVID than before, even as you were so active in the communities and how you serve? That's an interesting question. Um, yes, is the answer. And it's almost like we feel whether, I've, like you have created a lot of entities. Um, I think I've, I don't know how many you've created. I'm probably a couple hundred. I've created 40. And most people know me through Operation Hope. Um, and then, uh, I basically have a private equity firm, Brian Group Ventures, and I've invested in my own ideas and initiatives. And on the for-profit side, on the for-purpose side, it's been Operation Hope. On the for-profit side, it's been the Promise Homes Company, uh, both the largest nonprofit financial inclusion organization in America, Operation Hope, and the largest for-profit minority-controlled owner of single-family homes, rental homes in America, the Promise Homes Company, and. Um, both of those companies have, in the COVID environment in the last three months, uh, seen elevation. Um, before this, we had 303% growth over three years at Promise Homes. We've had 553% growth over five years at Operation Hope. Since um, uh, February of this year, uh, Operation Hope has served more people, Janice, in the last two and a half months um, than we did in six months of 2019. Wow. And where people were coming to us for one thing in 2019, I want to become a homeowner, I want to become a small business owner, or I want to become financially literate, or I want my credit score raised, or whatever. Now they're coming with five things at the same time. Uh, I need to restructure my mortgage. I need to uh, call, I need to call my landlord. I need you to uh, to help me negotiate my credit cards. I need to negotiate or renegotiate my child's student loan. Can you help us qualify for the CARE Act and the PPP loan program, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, that's on the institutional side. Um, on, and then on Promise Homes, that has grown primarily because of uh, our mentality and our approach as a leadership company. We didn't see real estate in a crisis as many people so I saw me, my use of real estate as an opportunity to do well and do good. And so we, I looked at this because I had the right, I think, mindset of the glass half full, not half empty. I saw an opportunity to move people from uh, uh, multifamily apartment buildings where you're uh, locked in with each other, no, uh, no um, distancing possible, paying 1000 to $2,000 a month in rent to sit on top of each other. And we said, look, let's just market to those people and let them know that you can have a single family detached home, 1,400 square feet, front yard, backyard, 
for the same rent or less um, and, and have a place to live, teach your children, uh, run your business, domicile at home, distance from others. And that strategy worked and, and that company went from, has grown even more. And I think that that's gonna be part of a narrative for the future. The, 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 but the question I think you're really asking me is on top of these companies are, is the person John Hope Ryan. And um, I feel like I'm an overnight success after 28 years in that regard. The things I've been saying that people sort of roll their eyes at literally when you met me in 1992, a 26-year-old kid, young man from South Central LA, literally people rolled their eyes at me. You were one of the few people who took me seriously. Reverend Murray took me seriously. Bishop Blake took me seriously. A few others, but most people, oh, here comes John Bryan again with financial literacy. Oh, here he comes again with this capitalism stuff. Oh, geez, we're going to hear this again. Because the, 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 uh, the, the primary discussion point in our communities was civil rights, politics, social justice, racism, uh, race inequality. These things are, to me, defensive tools to keep oppression off of you. And I was talking about an offensive tool to get empowerment on you and in you, um, but I was ahead of the curve uh, by, it appears, 28 years. Uh, and uh, I was dismissed. First, they will ignore you. Then they will criticize you. You keep at it. Then they will try to copy you. You know this very well. Uh, and then you keep at it. Then you win. Uh, so for, <laughs> for uh, a while, a long time, people ignored me. And for times after that, the first 10 or 15 years, in all of my ventures, they criticized me, including politicians from our own community, who saw me, I think, as a threat. They thought wrongly that I wanted to run for their raggedy office, which I had no interest in doing. Uh, no interest in being a politician. Um, but that didn't, that didn't uh, stop people from having fears about it. Um, and, but they just didn't help me. And, the, and then, then I saw people stealing, when I had a little bit of momentum, stealing our ideas, thinking they could do it better, but they didn't have the passion for community that we had. And um, you know, laziness is an interesting thing. Fear is an interesting, fear is a lazy, a lazy specimen of leadership. And the, the devil to me feeds on fear. And uh, the devil is a fallen angel. So darkness has failed goodness. Uh, it will last in a moment, but it can't last for a long time. Uh, but fear and, all, and laziness are bedfellows and it's easy to do things in the short term, it gives you that pop, but you're winning a battle, in my opinion, you're losing the war. I just have decided to have a long-term strategy, a long-term approach, and to sit in the light, uh, believing that ultimately the light would win out. And um, in the short version is that it did. Um, the, the, the work that we've been doing, uh, saying that financial literacy was a civil rights issue of our generation, was 25 years ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, the work that we were doing, my new book, Up From Nothing, that comes out in October, which I believe you're been gracious enough to give us a quote on, and so thank you. That book, probably my best book I've written to date, um, says that the new color's not white, black, red, brown, or yellow, the new color's green. Uh, the new uh, so that was racial. The, now the color's not red or blue, as in politics, the, the color's green. That the issue is now not, primary issue affecting your life is not racial, even though that's real, it's class, it's classism. And um, 
and that this crisis, I think, was the great leveler, Janice, because this crisis has hit everybody globally at the same time in the same way. You, you, you can't mansion yourself out of this. You can't helicopter yourself out of this. You can't private plane yourself out of this. You can't yacht yourself out of this. You cannot pay yourself out of this. This has hit everybody at the same time and in many ways the same way. I know billionaires who've lost family members and I know somebody who's a hundredaire who's lost family members. Right. And, um, and so this has attacked your health uh, security and your wealth security, or at least if you don't have wealth, but financial security. And so this work has now mainstreamed, mainstreamed the conversation I've been having around minority and underserved neighborhoods. Um, our website crashed two weeks ago when Gail King put us on CBS this morning. That was mainstream folks calling my number saying right. we need uh, financial triage, we need financial case management, for applying for unemployment, which they had never done in their entire life, asking for help from the government, uh, from uh, this case the CARE Act, which they had never done in their entire life. Great deal of pride these people had in never asking for any assistance. Now realizing that everybody needs a little affirmative action, a little affirming action. So, oh, wow, John. John, you know, that, that that's so powerful when you talk about everyone needing affirmative action. I was in a conversation with a girlfriend of mine in New York, and she's at around a million meals that she's uh, donated now for people in Queens. And she said, these are people who never dreamed themselves that they would be uh, asking for assistance or wondering about tomorrow, you know, uh, in, in the way they are. But I want to go back to something you were talking about very early in our conversation. You started to talk about seeing the glasses half empty and half full, and you later talked about empowerment. Yeah. I really want your teaching on that for this audience, because tell us, first of all, how you grew up. You come from a place of credibility. You're not this guy, everybody who know a lot of people who meet John today, meet John today. And John is influenced, even as a young man, by a long journey. Please share with the audience where you've come from and why you can speak authoritatively around your personal decision to see half full versus half empty. And then when, when you talked about Empower, I want to let you roll a little bit on that too, because I remember the first time my brother Carlton had a chance to listen to you at one nice of your conferences. And Very I nice asked guy. him, what's the biggest thing you took away? And he said, JBH, listen, John talks about empowering. Other people talk about empowering. They're giving the gift of power to someone. John talks about empowering, where you're powering from within yourself. Mm. And I mm. think those kind of line up. So uh, take us That's back good. a little bit who, who, from where you grew up and, and the authority from where you are able to speak to us in a teaching way, not just a preaching way. Yeah, well, uh, and my, my nephew Mason was with me yesterday in an interview with T.I., did his podcast yesterday, and he was telling me that I was starting to get a little preachy, uh, uh, and luckily I pivoted uh, off of that. But uh, I, I get 
very passionate about this uh, topic uh, because to me this is like this is like Oprah on money. I mean, this is spiritual, it's emotional, um, it's it's philosophical. Yes, it's financial. Yes, it's business. But it, it, it your mentality, your mental stability, your mental stamina, your mental philosophy on life will guide all the rest of your decisions. Amen. Um, and and then the rest of your decisions have velocity and that velocity will then uh inform the rest of your the, the rest of your actions so if you're financially illiterate and you get a million dollar contract or a hundred million dollar contract for basketball or football and you are never financially literate then your velo the velocity of that money coming through your your current mentality of financial illiteracy will have you financing gold chains uh, at a 50% markup, buying cars at 24% interest, hooking up your family with a bunch of consumerism and going broke. If you have the financial literacy and self-esteem powering that mentality, the velocity of that money will end up in stocks, bonds, investments, businesses, franchises, real estate, uh, and things that, that what I call backed by good debt. So a mortgage for a home, a business, a loan for a business. It's at things that appreciate and provide value. And uh, the way I would uh, bring this back down to your question is I'll start with the end in mind and say, I can't guarantee you that being positive is going to make you a success. But I absolutely guarantee you that being negative will make you a loser. You will fail. Um, uh, this world was made for good is that we've learned bad. This is made was made, the world was made for light. God is love. Love is light. Light is hope. Um, and so when I was growing up um, in Compton, California, in South Central LA, um, my mom, who was beaten by her ex-husband and, and experienced some domestic abuse by my father, uh, who is otherwise a great man. He was not a violent man but my dad never learned how to communicate. I hadn't really thought about this until literally the second. This might be why I'm so big on communication with my wife and with my family and making sure that when you have an issue with somebody or something, you say it, you talk about it, you talk it through and you resolve it. Um, and that you're not talking at somebody, you're talking with somebody because communication is so important. My, it might be because my father did not communicate well to my mother, nor even when he talked to me, he was talking at me, not talking with me. And, um, and that did not end well. That experiment didn't end well. He was also financially illiterate. So he was a hardworking man, ran a business for 54 years. Unfortunately, because he didn't understand the numbers, he made a dollar and spent a dollar fifty. The more money we made, the broker we got. So we went from owning and accumulating from the South, this, two, this incredible couple with a high school education from the South, um, uh, accumulating from nothing, a cement contracting business, an eight-unit apartment building, which we bought for $18,000, which would be worth, you know, millions today. We lost it. Uh, a gas station at, at uh, Normandy and uh, Vernon, if you know L.A., southeast yeah. corner, Normandy and Vernon. Um, it's, just, it's still there. It's a gas station, I believe. Uh, we owned... Uh, just a number of assets. We lost it all. We owned our own home uh, because my dad wouldn't listen to my mother. He won the battle and lost the war. Ambassador Young would say that women, men and women fail for three reasons, arrogance, pride, and greed. My dad was not greedy, but he was prideful. 
uh, probably go up before the fall. My mother, conversely, while not perfect and had her issues as well, um, uh, and was not loved by her mother, sorry, was not told that she was loved by her mother, decided to turn that negative into a positive and poured into me love. So she would tell me she loved me every day. This is the answer to your question. How did I become who I am? It's parenting. It was environment. My mom told me she loved me every day of my life. From her, I got a sense of, yes, I am, self-esteem. My dad ran his own business. From, a sense of, from him, I got a, yes, I can, mm -hmm. self-confidence. So I had self-esteem and self-confidence. I just got them from two different locations. And then uh, as I was coming up, I had quickly these very violent experiences that required me to make hard choices. Um, my, uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was five-ish. Uh, I remember them fighting uh, in front of me and I had to call the police. And I was calling the police initially on my father because he was hitting my mother. And then I had to tell the police, stop, I'm sorry, come, come, come. My mother is beating up on my father. She pulled her pump off and went, went ham on my dad's head. Um, and uh, it's, I can laugh about it today. It wasn't funny for a five-year-old. I remember right, right. it as if it was yesterday. Then when I was seven, tell you, uh, I'll get to the end so we can pivot. But when I was seven, uh, I almost died. I was swallowing my tongue. Uh, a play uncle hit the back of my, uh, between my shoulder blades, got my uh, passage open. He saved my life. Well, I watched him get killed in front of me by, they told me it was a drunk driver back then. It really wasn't. It was a drug dealer who was killing, who killed my uncle because, my play uncle, because he was selling marijuana in the wrong neighborhood, trying to earn some extra money. So here I said, wait a minute, my uncle, a brilliant, otherwise wonderful man, was trying to earn some extra money uh, and thought the only way he could do it was selling marijuana and, and got killed because of this stupid act. We got to find a better business plan. And it, you know, my best friend was killed when I was nine, basically the same thing hanging around with a thug in our neighborhood. They were trying to make money by stealing from people. And I, I just looked around and said, you know what? Choices are really important. Environment's really important. Communication's really important. Daily habits are really important. And I decided I was not gonna be a statistic. And I was tired of my neighborhoods and my communities failing uh, as the norm, that, that our business plan was wrong. We needed a software upgrade. And I decided to reverse engineer our problems, take the emotions out of it, and use math mm -hmm. uh, to solve it. And mm -hmm. that's what I've done. Uh, that's my intent, and that's what I think the trajectory that's ended us to this point now where we are, uh, you know, on the phone with the White House and Treasury Department three times a day. Uh, I feel like we're the Southern White House over here in uh, <laughs> South Georgia. Uh, on the phone with, you know, CEOs of captains of industry. Uh, trying, leaders like you, trying to refashion a world we can all live in uh, with equity and opportunity on the other side of COVID-19. Well, you know, those numbers do uh, matter and they tell a story. Uh, for years, I've told my organization, let's work from data. You know, all the stuff we feel and think, all the adjectives have a place, but let's make sure we work from data because people are going right. to buy from there. And yep. I think that so much of what you've been teaching all these years and living all these years, to your point, 
people are catching on to that now, whether they're catching on to it in a way that they're actually working deliberately from it, or whether they're still, as you say, stealing your ideas. There's room for innovation. And, you know, they used to say imitation is the uh, uh, greatest form of flattery. Right. But then we're taught about flattery from those of us who go to the Bible that that's not necessarily the best thing. Uh, I will tell you, though, that but you can't copy passion and authenticity, Janice, and you and I have that. You can't copy that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something, uh, John. I, um, I know that the people who are listening right now are feeling very fulfilled by what you've taught because whether it's their life as somebody they know. And as you were talking about this COVID-19 virus not being a respecter of persons, I think that also... Uh, all of us know somebody, if it's not us, who's been in the place you've been talking about and the people you've been talking about. And communities are being come, becoming more transparent even uh, in COVID uh, than they were before we were actually hunkered in, sheltered, safer at home. Where are you finding inspiration right now? You know, when we grew up in our communities, uh, you on the West Coast, me on in the Southeast. The similarities that we had were that hard times, as quote, quote unquote hard times, were common anyway. So we mm -hmm. were accustomed to working things through and working through yeah. things. Uh, yeah. So COVID may not hit us in an emotional way that it makes us feel powerless um, and we can help and teach people who feel that. But when we look at what we have commonly, where are you finding your inspiration? You give a lot. How do you not dream? It's, it's, um, it's, an, it's a wonderful question, and it's, I'm going to give you a strange answer. I'm finding hope in the, um, in the unearned suffering and the, uh, the legitimate struggle. So. This, uh, this, this crisis, as you just noted, hit, hit everybody uh, at the same time. And in the midst of this unearned suffering, you're finding kindness. You're finding people being kinder to each other, um, loving, respectful, gracious, providing charity and compassion and food and meals and donations uh, uh, towards one another. Black, white, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, it's bringing out so far, for the most part, a better side of us. There's been no rioting. There's been no murder and mayhem. There's, crime is down. I think that we are paying attention more so to what's really important. Um, I, I also think it's forcing, no one changes in, I've never said this to anybody on an interview, I'm gonna say it now. No one changes in good times, Janice. Why would you? No one changes in good times. You just, you want to enjoy the good times. Mm -hmm. I was concerned about my nephew's generation. Mason's 20 years old. He's living with us now and I'm, honored, I'm glad he's here. Um, mm -hmm. But I was concerned about his generation because I think that they were like in late, long lunch, leave early philosophy. And they thought that an app solved everything or they could cruise through life or make their own terms about how they want to work or what they want to do. Or, oh, I don't like this, so I'm not going to do it. Or I don't like you, I'm not going to deal with you. I just go look at my computer or look at my phone and uh, you know what? COVID, 
COVID slapped this entire generation right into reality. If it hasn't happened yet, it will happen within three to six months. You right. can't set your own terms in this life. That's not the way this works. You can't, you can't not subcontract your democracy. You cannot subcontract your vote. You cannot subcontract your hustle. You can't, make, you can't assume somebody else is going to work for you. You've got to be relevant in this society, and you've got to get a dividend or response on your contribution. So now this is reminding everybody that the old rules actually applies to all. Uh, and this is requiring people to reimagine and rethink. And basically, I had one millennial person send me a note saying, maybe I need to smoke less weed. <laughs> They're like, I, I need to smoke less weed. I need to, I need to stop going, I need to go to less parties. I, I need to eat better food. I may need to show up on time to work tomorrow. Maybe, maybe let me try that. I, I think I'm, maybe I'm lucky to have a job. Like, let, let me, let me like get, I need to like eat better food. I need to like work out. I need to get, this is serious. It's, and it, it's funny, but it's true. I mean, she literally sent me a note, like, because she works at the World Affairs Council here. And she wanted me to give, she was asking me some advice for something. And she's like, I was asking her, how's she doing? How's her friends doing? She was like, well, there are people still going out partying, whatever. She's like, I'm looking at this stuff. She, I need to smoke less weed. I thought it was a really interesting analogy. But what she was saying was, I need to be woke. Like, I can't afford to have my head cloudy. Like, yeah. I need to be, like, I need to have a clear head. Like, this is serious. Right, and some of the old rules for the new school, right? That's it. And, and I think that everybody, look, look, we put, we kicked the environmental sustainability down the road. No more. We kicked, uh, King, can you stop? That's our, my dog is like, look, this is my interview. Uh, oh, I love it. I love it. You ought to let us see your dog. Come here, King. Come here, boy. Uh, now, now he's like, no, no, you're talking me the wrong way. I'm sitting out over here. He, he's got empowerment, too. I um, sure do want to see him, John. I sure do want to see I, him. I, I'll, I'll Who sure are you quarantined her. with other than King? Who else are you quarantined uh, with? My wife, Shatra, uh, and uh, beautiful my, my nephew, wife, Mason. Very intelligent wife, your dynamic wife. Yeah, so she, she, when this first thing uh, went down, it was the most adorable moment. She had heard that we were going to be quarantined back then, it was for two or three weeks. And she looked at me and said, This is wonderful. I get to now spend two or three weeks with my favorite person. I get to hang out with my husband. This is She's going to get the honeymoon, right? <laughs> it was beautiful. I'm not sure two months later she still feels the same way, but she, uh, <laughs> that was the narrative back then. But look, I think that that we were not paying attention to wealth and income inequality. Mm -hmm. We weren't paying attention to the value. We had discounted health, universal health care. Mm -hmm. We had discounted how much we depend on each other, whether we even value the working poor. Mm -hmm. We had discounted uh, the need to keep having a sustainable environment. Uh, and you can go on and on and on. All those things now, we have discounted the even purpose of the federal government. Why do we need it? Why do we need social safety nets? Why do you need these welfare programs and other things that I mean, we're all self-reliant, aren't we? Well, now everybody's beginning to realize that we are interrelated and these things really do matter. And I don't, on the other side, is that we're going to have a chance to have renewed values. So that's why I answered the way I did about unearned suffering and legitimate, the, the purposefulness and legitimate pain. Love is work. Non-love is laziness. And anti-love is evil. Evil exists, but it's very rare. Most people are just lazy, physically lazy, financially lazy, spiritually lazy, emotionally lazy. They just don't want to do the work. They want somebody else to do it for them. And my number one asset 
is I hustle my butt off and can't see in the morning or can't see at night. I get up every day like I'm broke. Uh, I, I get up, I, I, I operate like, like I'm going to go out of business tomorrow. Uh, I, I, I have hustle on, on lockdown. I take no for vitamins. I believe the success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Uh, I'm, I'm hooked on the purposefulness of adding a value every day when I get up. I want to make sure when I, I was better and smarter than I was yesterday. I want to learn something every day. And this is the value that I'm trying to pour into everybody that I love because I think this, that and persistence, never giving up, and purposefulness and value, these are things that will, are omnipotent and these are things that will make you successful for the rest of your life and giving more than you're getting, which is what you do, uh, Janice, all the time. You're always in a giving mode. You're always saying, you and me, what can I do for you? And that, I believe, karma's real. Whatever goes around, comes around. Now, if you're a minority watching this program, you're a woman watching this program, listening to it, please hear me. This world is not about somebody hating you. But understand this, increasingly, it's, not about, it's also about somebody not really thinking about you. This is not about love or hate. That was the 60s. This is about radical indifference. Somebody doesn't care enough about you to hate you. You've got to make yourself relevant. You've got to make sure that you're adding value. You can't skate anymore. You're going to have to double down and underscore why somebody should be hiring you, and John, retaining you. Go ahead. John, please, when you talk about adding value, one of the things I see, and yes, for minorities, for women, but across the board, I see a lot of times people don't understand that it's a longer journey to add value to what you feel is valueless, and they're not finding it in themselves. Oh, yeah. And, 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 it, and, yeah. and so I, I, I know that's something that you, you, you've talked about to your own particular hope audience. Oh, it's all about self-esteem. I mean, mo the biggest problem I have, the biggest problem I see in the millennial generation uh, is a lack of purpose. People don't know what their purpose is. Let me, let me rephrase that, it's not purpose. I think people are lost. Yeah, yeah. They don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know who you are, then somebody else is, is happy to come along and to tell you who you should be. Mm -hmm. And if you take the wrong signal from the wrong person, you're gonna end up in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. And that's why my best friend George got killed when I was nine and he was 18. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. why my uncle was killed. Wrong place, wrong time, doing the wrong stuff with the wrong people. And oftentimes these folks that, that you're hanging with can't do nothing for you, but get you into trouble. And, and, you know, I, I, I love quotes because they, and phrases because they're easy to remember. If you hang around nine broke people, you're going to be the 10th. You hang around nine drug dealers, you're going to be the 10th. You hang around nine engineers, you're going to probably be the 10th. Whatever you hang around, you will be. You hang around nine, nine people, you'll probably be the 10th. My, mama used, positive to, person. Sorry, go my ahead. mama used to teach us, John, association brings on assimilation. Associate yourself up to where you want to be. She would tell That's us it. that all the time. And, and she make sure you had, laid that in on her daughters. Well, it worked. Look at you. <laughs> well, look at all my mom's kids, right? John, even as such an inspirational, and, and, and you know, when people say, oh, you inspire, I get that, and that's valuable. 
you also teach. And that's why I've referenced teaching from you so much. We can be inspired. And as soon as the scent of that leaves, yeah. you're left odorless. But when you're taught, it stays with you once you know something, once you that's learn right. it. Um, even with all you're doing and all your teaching, um, what's pissing you off right now? Oh, oh, a lot is pissing me off. Um, here's one. Here's something that's really pissing me off. Things are so bad right now with COVID nineteen. Steve, my friend Stevie Wonder can see it. But you got twenty five percent of this population that won't sit their ass down. They won't distance. They won't stop being selfish and going to parties or having parties. They won't. They want to go to pool parties. They want what they want. Mm -hmm. Or they want the narrative in their brain that they want. So they rash to rationalize is to tell rational lies. So they're, so they're operating as if there's not a care in the world. Okay, that might affect you, but what you're doing affects everybody else because you may be asymptomatic, but you may go home or go into a mall or go into another space and infect your mother, your grandmother, somebody else's grandmother, somebody who's got a, 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 a compromised immune system and they're now at risk, they die, their life has changed because of your foolishness. Mm -hmm. or, or worse, if you just won't sit yourself down so that we can quiet the, flatten the curve on the, the ramp of this crisis so that we can all get back to work. In other words, the fact that people are going out and doing as they like, hooked on freedom in America, uh, is the very reason why you're not getting any freedom in America. You need to sit yourself down for 60 days uh, it was two weeks, now it's 60 days. So just stop it so that the, the curve flattens so that you can then ultimately, all of us, go back into work, go back into our economy, go back into the restaurants after the curve flattens. We just won't do it. If you're an enemy of America, if you're, let me be blunt, if you're China and you want to, uh, to advantage yourself, I can't think of a better scenario whether they did it intentionally or by accident than to attack America at its weakest point of its strength, of freedom. Because now you can't tell us what to do. You can't tell Americans what to do. We do as we like. You have 25% of America who see 9-11 happen every day for, for a month now. In other words, 3,000 people dying a day, 9-11 uh, level deaths every day for a month to six weeks, 60, 70,000 people dying and climbing but yet that's not enough evidence for them, then they need to go sit their rear end down somewhere. So I'm just convinced now that 25% of us just won't do right. And um, it doesn't matter what evidence you give them to rationalize, to tell rational lies. But here's what I believe. Here's, here's what makes me hopeful. The book, The Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell proved, that was my nephew, by the way, walking, walking by. Uh, he's, working, he's working in the hey, other room. Hey. Oh, he's all right, no, he, he, he scooted by. But uh, to, to, you know, the book, The Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell proved that if 5% of role models, every community stabilizes. Not 80% of role models, not 50, not 20. 5% of role models, every community stabilizes. Hope is so powerful, you can use a super minority of it to change the world. Dr. King had 70 employees, and he changed the world without firing a shot. So I am pissed off, but hopeful. Well, wow. Listen, you threw some numbers at us and I'm going to play a numbers game with you before we get uh, to our uh, to our closing comments on success because this is about success. Uh, yeah. Our listeners are interested in how to be successful, how to encourage success. 
Uh, but let's play this numbers game, and it's four for four, John. I'm going to ask you four questions, and each question, you rapid-fire me back four answers to that same question, okay? Yep. And yep. at the minimum, people are going to leave here with 16 solid solutions, okay? Yep. All righty. First question, four answers, right? Rapid-fire. Um, define success. Success for me is becoming reasonably comfortable in my own skin. No one's comfortable in their own skin. That's a lie. But reasonably comfortable in my own skin. I'm not as good as my compliments. I'm not bad as, my, as bad as my critics or my criticisms. I am who I am. And I love myself in spite of, if not because of. Because love for you starts with love for me. Um, so that is where self-esteem emanates from and once i like me i can like you once i love me i can love you once i respect me maybe i can respect you and if i don't have a purpose in my life i'll make a lot to make your life a living hell so success is um in my opinion self-actualized in inner peace love it you gave us five answers so people got a lot <laughs> to roll with i love it john you gave us a baker's dozen uh, kind of answer second question um i listen to this because for i learned mm -hmm. quincy jones said i asked him you know how'd you get so smart he said i said john i'm just nosy as hell <laughs> By the way, what are you listening to right now? Uh, I, I prefer to read books than listen to them, because um, if I can read it, I can multitask. Um, uh -huh. That's where my brain works. Uh, uh -huh. I listen to music, actually, to calm myself. Um, I listen and, to all kinds of music. That? What are you listening to when you're... Oh, everything from Jay-Z to Mozart. <laughs> love it, love it, to love it. To New Country. Yeah, I just love, love good music. Love it, love it. I grew up on a lot of country. Uh, what are you reading? Oh, 20 books at the same time. Uh, I'm going to go back and read Andrew Young's An Easy Burden, mm -hmm. uh, reading, rereading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, uh, reading uh, Alexander Hamilton's book, uh, First Secretary of the Treasury, um, uh, reading, rereading uh, Where Do We Go From Here from Dr. King and uh, a letter from a Birmingham jail, which I think everybody uh, needs to read. Um, I'm actually reading my, I'm final reading my last book from nothing. And, you know, I don't really enjoy reading most of the stuff that I've written. Once I read, once I read it, I'm sort of bored with what I've done, um, or think that I can do better. I actually enjoy. When, when can our reading. listeners uh, read your book, John? Uh, it's out, they can pre-order it now, uh, online and it's out in October. And I'm going to send you, I thought I sent you a copy. I'll send you a, a copy if you don't have it, but I'm actually enjoying reading my own book. I actually think it's going to. Uh, be a good book and that's saying a lot for me i don't i don't really i'm very hard on myself i typically am underwhelmed by what i do uh but if i didn't write the book i would read it which is which is a unique compliment for me on me because a lot of stuff that i do i'm like eh. um the uh, but there's a lot of books there's a i mean i i, I have a i have 40 books on my ipad right yeah. now that i'm actually yeah. reading yeah. at the same time yeah dr kim uh who is an Eastern medicine practitioner who has helped me a lot. And I talk about him in my uh, last book. Dr. Kim teaches me, you must tell yourself you love yourself. And I need you to do that six times a day. 
I said, I thought you told me three times a day when um, we first started working together. He said, well, you've grown in a lot of ways, but one of the things I see you distancing from is loving yourself and you've got to come back to that fully. Now we could go into a whole discussion about why he said, you know, I, I need to work on that more. But he says that we all have to tell ourselves we love ourselves. We have to talk with ourselves differently. We have to begin to have that conversation even with our heart about what we eat. My dear sweetheart, what would you like to eat today? You know, and so he yeah. goes at it from that place. And I see so much of what you practice with your Westernism and your capitalism grounded by so much of what he teaches from his Eastern medicine and his approach to, you know, healthy living. John, um, you, <clears throat> you've met a lot of people. You consider a lot of people to be uh, yourself to be friendly too, and a smaller dynamic number who you call friends. Who do you call successful? Tell us four people who you think are really uh, icons of success for you. By the way, you've helped me with something before I answer that. I hadn't thought about that, but I do practice Western capitalism and probably Eastern philosophy and probably Southern, uh, and probably African soul. That yeah. is probably the, that's probably a good way of describing me. Eastern philosophy, yeah. uh, African soulfulness and Western capitalism um, and free enterprise and self-determination. Um, it, people who I think are successful in no particular order. Uh, Ambassador Andrew Young. Alive, dead, doesn't matter. Alive or dead, does not matter. Yeah. Ambassador Andrew Young, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass. We'll give you probably eight. Um, uh, um, um, There's a, the, the lady who helped with the Underground Railroad, who helped to set all the... the um, Sojourner Truth or Harriet Tubman? Harriet Tubman, thank you. Uh -huh. um, uh, Tony Ressler today, who owns the Atlanta Hawks and is a billionaire and uh, built a company from zero to 150 billion, who most people don't know, but uh, he's a billionaire and he's one of my business partners and I love his brain, I love his heart. So, and he uh, loves yours, John. He loves yours. I saw the sincerity of his appreciation, admiration, and association to you. And I thought, that's a triple-A ticket right there. Yeah, he's a special human being. Um, they're, they're, I mean, I've got 20 people like that who back me uh, for, for only because they just think it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And my job is to make sure I don't disappoint them once they make that commitment. Um, and they have their own journey, which is why I think they so appreciate you living transparently yours. So mm. many people get, I've even seen people, John, and I won't call names here, not because we're not a transparent uh, a conversation, but because I think it's respectful to, you know, do so or not do so. I've seen people who have not been as open about their journey. And they've been very giving and successful people, but they've not gotten to the place where they're as open about their journey. And they meet you, and all of a sudden, they start to tell their story, or they mm. start to appreciate their story differently. You talked about modeling for success. And I yeah. mentioned early in our conversation how you model mentors me. 
And I've seen that. I've seen you mentor. And when I'm speaking of this, I'm talking about brand names people know. When you call their name, people know who they are. And I've seen them change in how they talk about themselves after they've been in your presence or in your conversation. Well, I think, I think vulnerability, thank you for that. I think vulnerability is power. Uh, and I think that, but I think not, but very few people are tough enough to be soft. And they've, they've unfortunately been told that in order to be, to be strong, you got to be a jerk. Uh, and that's just not, I think it's just not true. I think the opposite is actually true. When you've got the power, you don't need to use it. <laughs> you know, and, I mean, if I've got, if I'm truly powerful and influential, why do I have to scream and holler and raise my voice and bang on, bang on doors? My philosophy for life is, and by the way, a couple more names, Susan Taylor and Janice Bryan Howroyd and Bishop T.D. Jakes, wow. um, Reverend Cecil Chip Murray. Wow, um, you put me in high cotton. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Gail, Gail King. I mean, there's a, there's a, luckily, I, I can count. I mean, T.D. Jakes has become a good friend recently. And that is a bad brother. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Uh, I've got 20 names, including straight-up capitalists, who I am proud to say are people who I would emulate any day of the week. Um, I think that... Uh, most people who are, who are successful with success or may not be all that successful with themselves. Yeah. And um, confidence and competence is different from self-esteem. You can have low self-esteem and still have high confidence because confidence comes from competence. Right. And right. competence is a skill, is a talent, mm -hmm. and it leans out into the world. And that gives you, with success, confidence so you can have somebody who's very confident, who's very successful, who's achieved a lot, who has wealth and power, who has also low self-esteem and full of fear. That person actually is very dangerous. In, in, in our company, we teach that confidence is the marriage of knowledge and experience. Sometimes that marriage isn't as functional as it should be. But it nevertheless, the confidence is there. The, the, the marriage of knowledge and experience. And wow, did you just, I mean, you just talked about that so beautifully. Thank you. So, so, let, so let's, go, let's go one step further on that, uh, Janice. Let's talk about marriages, whether it's husband and wife, whether it's uh, business partners, friendships, communities. Let's talk about a marriage. Uh, what your people in your company have I think through your leadership and what your viewers and listeners want as a result of this program is this. You want a marriage, a union of uh, like-minded values. So you want a giver and a giver is exotic. A yes. giver and a taker is neurotic. Yeah, yeah. And a taker and a taker is psychotic. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and look around your life and see, first of all, who are you? Are you a giver or are you a taker? And who are you associating with? If you're a giver surrounded by takers, then you're going to be drained, exhausted, and resentful and unhappy. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are a taker surrounded by taker, you need to get some therapy. <laughs> um, but a house divided cannot stand. You, you cannot uh, have uh, you going in one way and somebody else going in another and call that a partnership, a marriage, or anything that's sustainable. And uh, so... Culture is everything. What is the yes. culture in your household? What is the culture in your life? Yes, yes, absolutely, John. And we actually are doing a lot of culture work uh, 
in our company right now. And so the things you're saying are so, you talked about being relevant. They're so relevant to so many people. Uh, before we have to uh, the hug goodbye, I do want you to talk, wrap this all up for us because listening to you, your ideas about what is success aren't changing before and post COVID. What may change is the functional steps to getting there. Yeah. Even the lessons for how to achieve those don't change. Wrap us up, John. Take us home on how we live a better, successful life. That's what people have learned a lot about already in this conversation. Wrap it up for them. Make sure they, they're on the mark. Yeah. In a post-COVID world, cut the crap. <laughs> cut the crap. Stop the drama. Stop the games. Stop smoking the weed. <laughs> to quote my, my, my millennial friend, stop, cut the crap. Cut to the chase. If there's an end of the story, can we please start there? Uh, you've got to move the toxicity out of your life. You have to fill your cup with optimism. You've got to recheck your life because what you what you are is often what you eat. Recheck your your what, what are you eating? What are you consuming? What's your wellness? My wife's got me on a cleanse this week uh, mm -hmm. to try to get all this processed food and toxicity out of my body because your health is really 80% what you eat and 20% working out. You can work out every day and still women. John, huh? I've had a lot of young women run up to me and men when I'm at conferences and they'll ask me, how do you move around like that? And how do you do this? And first of all, I'm like, okay, so you're inferring because I'm so old, I'm still doing this. This must be a miracle thing, right? No, you're timeless. <laughs> but I will tell you, um, I am fighting COVID from the inside and ensuring that my immune system is healthy. And it's something I got to thank my sweet mama for because mama and daddy insisted on a lot of us when we were growing up. The thing mom was unyield, the two things she was unyielding about was you got to be prayerful. Now, my mom taught me the elements of what I typically teach people, which is no matter who you call God, call God every day, then be quiet and listen. She also taught us that we had to uh, eat healthy. Uh, some people have said you uh, eat to live, you don't live to eat, you know? And so I eat from the ground up and I eat as raw as possible. That's yeah. basically me, eat from the ground up. My bigger parts of my meal are under the ground, next are on the ground, and then I go to the air for bird and fowl. But I, I, I typically stay in that zone and most of what I eat, I eat raw. And it just helps me to, you know, I, I feel better about it. Sorry to cut you off, but I'm really no. passionate about this, John. No, no. I mean, that's, be healthy. We, we're sympathetical. We're on the same, same page and my wife would be saying amen here. And look, I didn't believe any of this three or four years ago about wellness. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm a complete believer now. And uh, my energy level is up, my weight is down, my blood pressure is down, all because I've changed how I eat, I changed how I flow. I took some drops sitting here, that's curcumin and turmeric. I do that three or four times a day. Uh, when I, oh, thank I you for mine, thank you for mine, you sent me, thank you, Absolutely. I'm a lover of it. Please repeat it so our folks can hear what they need to be doing with the turmeric. So, um, I did not really believe all this, like, I'm sure I would call it hocus pocus 
uh, three or four years ago on wellness. My best friend, Rod McGrew, is a vegan. And, um, and he would go to dinner with us three, four, five years ago, and I would go outside as a joke and go cut some branches off a tree and bring it in and put it on his plate and put some olive oil on it and tell the waiter <laughs> that's his meal for the night. Uh, of course, he was genius and I was an idiot. Uh, and I was eating all this processed food and bloating myself and I was uh, eating um, uh, processed sugar, uh, white sugar, uh, which is a death sentence. And uh, I was feeling at, at lower energy levels. I, I'd offset that with coffee and caffeine and other things. I don't do drugs, I don't smoke. So because I didn't do drugs, drinking, or any other kind of stuff, my body was more resilient and I falsely thought I was Superman. But my blood pressure was, un was quietly spiking. And, um, and my heart rate became irregular as a result of my organs working harder. Mm -hmm. And and my shasher, my wife was like, John, you know, you just your organs are just getting exhausted from you eating all this processed food that was never meant to be in your body, and you've got to give your organs a break. That's called a cleanse. And so she gave me a cleanse, and I lost 13 pounds. Um, and then I started taking turmeric and curcumin. I endorsed this product called Nourish.me. It's a curcumin product, and I endorse this. I take 30 drops of this a day, uh, before and after meals. And that got the inflammation out of my body. And 75% of all disease, it lives on inflammation. Uh, and I stopped, so I just did simple things. No dairy for me, and, I'm not, uh, and, and uh, no um, uh, white sugar. I use sugar in the raw, so I, I, and I, I have a non-dairy creamer, which by the way, gives me the same taste that I had with the bad stuff. Yeah. And by the way, now I eat some of the bad stuff, and raw sugar, I'll eat a donut or whatever because I just want one, and I get a two-minute high and get a ten-minute crash. Uh, <laughs> I feel crappy because my system's now so clean. I feel crappy on the other end. So now I found vegan cookies. They look and taste just like chocolate chip cookies. My wife does that. I, I love some of these salads that she makes. I'm not compromising my quality of eating. I had a, a vegan burger yesterday that looked and tasted like a regular hamburger. But, and you can taste things more, can't you, John? Oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, taste, yeah, taste yeah. you can really appreciate, and you can taste the harvest that's on your plate differently than when it's all cooked and squished. And, you know, I don't even do that. I, I can't. And even... I feel better. I just feel better. Yeah. My, yeah. Well, you're making us clearer. feel better. You're making us feel better. And not only are you making us feel better, you're, you're teaching us to live better. Yes, you are inspirational. So many people call you inspirational. I know I'm blessed by you being a friend. You are a teacher, John. Please, you are a teacher. You are a professor of life. I can't think of anybody who can have given us such a brilliant conversation on success. And it's my honor that you've given it to us today. Truly from my heart, from my home to your heart, to your home, I express the deepest appreciation. Thank you, John Hope Bryant. My pleasure. Let me tell you, all of those who are brilliant enough and lucky enough to follow Janice Bryant Howroy, she doesn't walk on water, but she knows where the stones are. <laughs> I love you. I love you, man. I love you. Take care of that family and let them take care of you. All right, peace and light. All right. All right. Bye-bye.